Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed plus lots of bonus content including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A so do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so maybe even strangers in the street love you Hello there, here's your starter for 10. How many English top flight managers grew up as diehard fans of the club they're in charge of? Answers on a very small postcard, please. We reckon Dean Smith is a true rarity, and not just because the Aston Villa manager was a regular on the Holt end during Villa's glory days when they won the 1981 league title and the European Cup against Bayern Munich a year later. In this episode, we talk about Dean's memories of that era and some of the great players, including Gordon Sid Cowens. Another Villa legend, Jack Grealish, comes up too. But we start off by discussing how Dean's Midlands childhood helped form him. Up trees and skinned knees. There's a wee mention of the Grand National too, but a slightly unusual one. Okay, it's the big interview, and um, this is a treat. It's a late summer treat, and thanks to the increasingly under pressure FIFA for creating a little a little break in their schedule, because we're able to to welcome um, a man from West Bromwich, I think, to our midst for the, for the first time. Only born in West Bromwich, Graham, and I had no choice in that. That wasn't meant to be a slide tackle for me earlier on, manager. But 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 there we begin because. I don't know how long you lived there, but what was the the Midlands in, in the seventies like to grow up in? And, and you were born in West Bromwich. Everybody knows that, that Villa's your beloved club, and Villa's a club that you're you're steering to potentially 
to greatness again. We'll come back to that. I, I, growing up, I'm thinking about noises, sounds, culture, attitudes, behaviour around you growing up in the West Midlands in, in the 70s. It was an enjoyable time for me, um, I think, because we, as, as kids at that time in the 70s, we were allowed to be kids. We were allowed to, to go out and play in whether it be the school playground, the local woods, the local fields. And there was a trust there from from parents, from neighbours, that everybody would look out for everybody. Um, because, you know, I'm from a working class background. My dad worked in a factory all his life. My mum was doing jobs all over the place and normally dragging me and my brother with her, whether it was cleaning offices and, you know, we would be playing football in the corridors while she was cleaning offices or whether she was doing, you know, a dinner lady duty at a school. Um, you know, so there, there was always working hard. So there was always me and my brother who were left at home pretty much. And along with our mates, we would go and play football or we would go and climb trees and fall out of trees. And, you know, uh, it was the sort of childhood, but it was really enjoyable because we were all doing it. Um, you know, and my two best mates have always been my two best mates from when I was a kid and to, to where I am now. Um, and that will never change because, you know, we're, we're from the same backgrounds and we've got the same values. And, um, but it was, it was, it, it was tough for my mum and dad, um, but it was enjoyable for, for us as, as kids because we were allowed to play, we were allowed to uh, scrap, <laughs> but we're allowed to play all kinds of sports. Is that the kind of upbringing that breeds creativity because you can do everything you know a tree becomes a castle or does it does it it allows you to risk I mean listen I'm speaking for myself here but without doing any damage we used to nick in and out of people's gardens to see if we had the sphincter for it just that no, no badness and in fact we, we we thought we were the great train robbers if we nicked into somebody's garden pinched an apple and nicked out again I feel that although I'm a lot older than you if it, 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 it sounds like it's an upbringing where you can try things out at a young age and see, oh, ah, that was just about acceptable, that wasn't. But you also, you fall over, you scrape something, you maybe break a window or whatever, and you kind of, you start to get a value system in your head and, and it breeds creativity, is that right? Yeah, it does. It, it breeds creativity. Um, you learn from mistakes as well as one of the biggest things that I've probably taken from my experiences. You, we all make mistakes all the time. It's, it's how you learn from them and how you get better. But that, that creativity side, you know, if we didn't have a football, then we'd play football with a tennis ball. If we would play cricket and when it got dark, we used the curbs to have a game of Kirby with a football and, you know, under, under the under the streetlights. And, you know, there's a lot there was a lot of talk about, you know, the, the 10,000 hours um, of, of, of creating, you know, that that perfect football or, or pianist or violinist. But part of the 10,000 hours for me is that athletic development of climbing trees and, you know, having the Grand National down the street where you're, you're hedge hopping. Um, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, there's too many drives and cars now, so you can't do it or the kids can't do it. But that was part of our athletic development. And for me, part of our 10,000 hours as well. Were the places that you counted as your... You're growing up streets, whether they be in, in leisure time or in school time. Do, were they changing culturally? Were they changing in terms of the the sights, the sounds, the, the cooking smells, the the, the, the colours of skin you saw, the music? Or, or, 
or was that slow to change? In the area I was brought up, that was slow to change. You know, I, I probably, it was probably when I went to senior school that you saw more change and uh, you was more aware of the cultural um, change that was happening at that time. Um, you know, I, I think at the time it was probably stuck from area to area. Um, but I think there's been an expansion and, and, and more diversity, you know, uh, across across the, the country and across across the world. And, you know, um, you you had to get used to that. And um, and you certainly did. But, you know, but going to football matches certainly helps you get used to uh, diversity um, and, and, and the different cultures because, you know, a, a football club like Aston Villa was in the, in the middle of probably one of the poorer areas in Birmingham, you know, and uh, it was an area where my dad was brought up. I, I spent a lot of time in London as well when I was at Leighton Orient. And I remember a story that, that the chairman had told me, uh, Barry Hearn, and I think they only had 400 season ticket holders from within the catchment area because it became uh, more popular to move out of the area into a more affluent area and, and live there. So, I probably found that around the Villa ground as well. My dad was brought up in Aston, but he had managed to, you know, earn enough money to move out of the area. And we moved to an area called Great Bar. And that's where I spent, you know, all of my childhood and um, and younger years. And what probably helped me is I had an elder brother as well, who was two years older. And I probably played with him and his mates. So I was always playing out of my age group, so to speak, because I was playing with his mates. I know I'm on dangerous ground, but this isn't provocative. Why weren't the three degrees? Why wasn't Remy Moses and, and Statham and Ali Brown and, and, and Robertson and, and the mighty Cyril Regis? Why, why wasn't that in any way tempting to you? Because we all have that moment when we found... We, I don't think we necessarily always go, that's my team. We After six, eight months of going to games or something like that, we got. Oh, I feel something. That's that's me, and that's you for life. You know, I'm Aberdeen for that's just forever and ever and ever. We're we're not like the new sort that follow the stars around. Why was that not tempting to you? Because I mean, we'll come out to Villa in a minute, but that was one hell of a West Brom side. Oh, it was right from the start. Where I said I was actually born in West Bromwich because it was the nearest hospital, but I lived in Birmingham, and my dad, my dad had always been a Villa fan. His dad had always been a Villa fan. And, you know, he'd been a steward there for 25 years and, you know, we got we got taken to the games at five and six years old. And I remember having tantrums on a Saturday morning when I had to go to my nan's with my mum and my dad would take my brother to the game because he was two years older than me. Um, you know, and I used to end up in the ball ring centre having a knickerbocker glory to try and calm me down. One of my favourite players was obviously, was Brian Robson, who was playing for West Brom, because we saw him play for England all the time and international football for me was a, a lot more of a, how can you say, I think it, it glued the actual um, area together. Everybody was an England fan. You know, everybody watched the, the national team playing. So, you know, Brian Robson was, you know, a hero of mine at that time, but then also Andy Gray was at Villa. And I, I remember, and this is where I can empathize with, with the Villa fans now, with Jack Grealish going. I remember Andy Gray going to Wolves and I was devastated as a 10-year-old lad. Um, you know, him going and signing for for Wolves what, for what was a million pound, I think it was at the time. Um, you know, and uh, but out of that grew heroes 
new heroes in Gary Shaw and Peter Wiv and the team that won the league and then won the European Cup. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to watch, you know, my team at that time in what was their greatest ever era. Before we touch on that, because to me too, it was it was stunning. It was uplifting. They played a brand of football that was extraordinary. I didn't know it, but my team was on the verge of winning literally... T- a year later, two years later, winning two European trophies. So I won't ask about that impact. But Villa Park, which you you know inside out now, which, you know, dances to the, the beat of your team. But but when you're six, seven, eight, nine, what are your first memories of what it looked like? Because it, it's one of those beautiful stadiums. Maybe it's not as, as um, symmetrical, maybe, as the modern ones, but... It's huge, it's imposing, it feels part of the, you know, Aston because it rises up out of the houses and it was noisy. And, and I remember when I was young, the, the smells and the sounds and the voices and the, the swearing, those first impressions as the associates once sang. The, the first was the smell of Bovril. I think everybody had Bovril <laughs> at half time. And I still don't mind a Bovril now when I go to some of these grounds and, at half time, but... You know, it, it was the excitement, not just of the game, because the, the game itself was, Villa Park was atmospheric. Whether it was the home team who were winning, fans were behind them, but you could always hear the away fans as well. But it was also, even just at half-time, you had to wait for this billboard to come up and people to put the half-time scores of other, gra- other games during the, during the league at that time. And you'd be waiting for them scores to come through, and then you'd have... A man with an orange tray selling some some orange or a bag of crisps and or a pie and, and that was it. It was there was a familiarity, familiarity, but s- simpler p- pleasures that really meant a lot to us as, as youngsters. We used to go up the altar and stand in the same place, and we knew fifty people around us, um, and we all used to look out for each other um, who was around us, and you know it, it was great to. Because then it was terracing and, you know, if, if yeah. there was a chance, you swayed and you ended up 10 foot away from where you actually was before. And there was times when you took crates up there to stand on um, or you, st- you sat on the bar and you scored and somebody else in front would catch it as you fell off. And But there was, it was that familiarity um, and it, it was just a really good time to watch football. Who stood out for you? Who really stood? Because I remember... Big Mortimer. Mortimer looked like some sort of um, Hollywood model because with you, the long dark hair, the, the right physique, you know, he wasn't born ugly. Sometimes he had a moustache. And he used to seem to sashay and sway through midfield. But the guy who, who did it for me, the guy who knocked me out all the time was, was Morley. As a dedicated fan, who were the ones that stole your heart? When I first started watching, as I said earlier, it was Andy Graham and Brian Little. Um, and then you know uh, we had that golden era and I suppose for me it was Gary Shaw and and Sid Cowens I've been fortunate enough to actually play with Gary Shaw he came to Warsaw towards he had a lot of injuries and I played with him at Warsaw uh, but also become good friends with Sid Cowens Sid Cowens and and, and Paul McGrath are probably two of the best players I've seen play for, for Aston Villa I liked the way Ron Saunders acted around the players he was no nonsense, straight to the points. He only used fourteen players to win the win the yeah. uh, uh, the championship in in eighty eighty one, and then they went on and won the European Cup the following year. But 
the ones that I looked up to then, as I say, Andy Gray, Brian Little, and then it was Gary Shaw, Sid Cowens. And, and later when I was actually involved in football and playing myself, still watching Villa from afar, it became Paul McGrath. Um, you know, and I do remember one player who, who signed uh, a French player who everybody really got excited about called Didier Cisse. Didier Cisse, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I remember him coming and, and playing against Manchester United and we were sat in the Trinity Road by the dugouts and it was like, we hadn't seen foreign flair before and it was so exciting to go and watch him. But even playing, the, the season we won the we won the title, going and watching the game against Ipswich and seeing Arnold Muren play and, and players like that, Frank Tyson, it was, you know, great to see that there was actual foreign flair coming into the game then. And let's be, let, we have to be honest about it. That's what's actually, you know, uh, probably improved, you know, uh, our league and the way we play football as a nation. Before the rest of this big interview, I'd like to tell you that our entire archive of audio and video content is now on our new YouTube channel. We've begun filming all of our interviews, and there are already loads of clips with guests, including Rio Ferdinand, Connor Cody, Brendan Rogers, and Jamie Carragher, plus full interviews for you to watch and to share. Please do share with friends. Go to YouTube and search Graham Hunter or click on the link in the show notes to this episode and become a subscriber. I honestly think you'll enjoy it. Thanks. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Those that didn't see Gordon Cowens, because he was a star in Italy, um, he's been mentioned a lot on this podcast because along with Alan Devonshire, he, he represents to me the kind of hidden midfielders who were were phenomenal, gems. But 
probably didn't get wide enough recognition. From a football perspective, as well as from a fan's perspective, why was Sid so special to you? People that didn't see him, try and encapsulate him. He could do everything. He could he could tackle. He wasn't he wasn't built with uh, a massive physique, but he never shirked a tackle. And he had that ability of sliding in and wrapping his foot around the ball and coming out the other side with it. Um, but his passing range was incredible, right foot and left foot. And I I was fortunate enough to know uh, become good friends with Pat Hurd, who who played for a short period for Villa, was on the bench when they won the European Cup, and he used to say that. You know, uh, Sid Cowens, he, he could peel oranges with his toes. He was that good. Our sponsors, Bet365, want us to ask you. It's a tough one, so I apologise. We've led each other into this. They say, who's the most talented player you have worked with? Because you've, you've set the stall out with watching McGrath and Sid Cowens and Andy Gray, player of the year and young player of the year in the same season. I don't know if it, but I don't think it's been done before. I'm not even sure if it's been done since. This sticks it right on you. Dean, who's the most talented player you've worked with? And if you want to get, if you want to dodge the question, you can say, or watched. They didn't ask that, but I'm giving you free pass. I don't need to not dodge it because he's just been sold for £100 million. <laughs> uh, it's an easy one. You know, Jack Grealish is, is a phenomenal talent. And the biggest thing I like about him is he knows he's talented, he's confident in his own ability, but he's humble enough and coachable. And they're the two, the two words that I think are really strong in, in terms of you know, helping to, because my, my job is, is as a teacher of football to help players, you know, um, fulfill their potential, get better. And he was coachable. And that's a big word for me because there are some players who aren't coachable. Uh, when, you know, you tell them something, you know, you, you, two weeks later, you're telling them again. Four weeks later, if you're telling them, then you know you've got a problem. Jack didn't have that. You could tell him something. And he'd come and ask you a question the following day about it because he would have processed it, gone home, had a look, and he just improved all the time. And when I first came into the club, I think the club, I think we were 12 games into a championship season and he had zero goals and one assist. And I said, you want to be at the top of this game, you're not going to be with them numbers. You've got to concentrate on, concentrate on getting your numbers up. And there was, I showed him a video clip, and I think it was about against Preston, uh, which might have been Steve's last... Steve Bruce's last game, and Jack was picking up the ball behind our centre arts. I said, "You've now, you've now got eleven players to go and beat, to go and create. Your talent is drawing people to you, seeing the pass, creating, but also scoring." I, I wonder, Dean, because clearly the glory moments, if if you encapsulate them like that, are are taking the team up, making sure it stays up. When you take them into Europe, when you lift a trophy, those are the glory. But I wonder if. Potentially, the most satisfying thing is is having shown not just shown that you're a teacher, but having you can step back from Jack and say, okay, you, you, you're a learner. You're born with terrific talent. You've changed your physique as well, but I've aided your development. You've listened. I've helped you. I, I think from a distance, if I look at the team and if I look at a number of individuals, you seem to be as well as a, a manager and a coach, a developer. Once you're developing the individual, your job is then to develop the team. And if the players are getting better, your team's getting better, then you start winning games. And there's a process to it, and there always has to be that process. You know, you can't jump straight ahead and go, right, we're just going to go and try and win games. You know, you've got to improve people to do that. Uh, there's got to be that process to get there. 
And, and yes, you, you're correct. I love, I love coaching people, not just to be footballers, but to be good human beings as well. And you have to remember they're all different and they've all come from different backgrounds. Not, not one of them will be the same. So, you know, saying that you're going to treat everybody the same, I, I believe is untrue as well. You can't because they are different. And, um, what, how you deal with one will be how you deal with another. But as long as everybody understands that you're being consistent, but different in how you deal with the different personalities. I'm sorry to jump about, but, you know, I'm a romantic. I, I'm not, I, I'm unashamed about it. We're more than just a product of what we do. I think things around us genuinely influence us. So, for example, an Amberdonian, when Ferguson came and we started to beat Rangers and Celtic, but then we beat Bayern Munich and we beat Real Madrid and we beat European Champions Hamburg. It was glorious. It was felt fantastic. It was uplifting. But when I watched and listened to the players and to Ferguson saying, we're not scared of anybody, we'll take on anybody, and then they go and tip people over, it changed me as an individual. It had, a, it had an influence on me. I felt the world is my oyster. No challenge is too big. You, you might bump your nose on a challenge, but it's worth it. You learn, you'll go on. And it inbuilt more aggression and competitive aggression in me than I was born with. Do, do, do you think any of that holds true for you beyond the joy of lifting a claret and blue scarf up when they win the t- Villa win the title? Only eight points ahead of West Brom, so that was a powerful time for those two communities. Eight points ahead in 81. And then beating Dinamo Berlin and, and Dinamo Kiev and, and by a minute to, to, to win the European Cup and then thrashing Barcelona, which we'll come to for the Super Cup. Did, did it have a, an effect on you as a person, your confidence, your attitude? Yeah, yes, it did. I, I can honestly say at the time I didn't know that it was. Um, but now I can reflect and look back and, and definitely, um, you know, uh, when, when Villa won that, that league title with just 14 players, there was a bond with the supporters, with the players. There was a feeling where it just brought everybody together. Villa were historically one of the biggest clubs but hadn't really had an awful lot of success. The, we won the League Cup in 75, 77, um, but league title hadn't been probably since 1910 or something like that, I think. Um, so it'd been a really long period without, we, with all the history that the football club had, and it, it brought the community together. As I said, Ron Saunders at that time was, he, he, I, don't know, I don't know him personally, but he appeared to be a disciplinarian. And it was, you know, Play hard, enjoy yourself. You know, as long as you played hard and worked hard, go and enjoy yourself. But then when you come back, make sure you work hard again. And I think that influenced uh, an awful lot of people around here. And, you know, as you said, Villa only finished eight points clear to West Brom. I can I can pretty much name the West Brom team from that year. I can name the Liverpool team. I can name the Ipswich team. All the teams that were challenging and the Arsenal teams. Whereas... You know, probably eight years ago, whoever won the title, Man City, Chelsea, Man United, you know, uh, I don't think that connection is with the players and the fans is as close as, as what what it was then. Um, you know, I've worked with, with JT and JT obviously understands that connection at Chelsea and whoever came into that club, he talked about it with me about making sure they understood what it was about. And I have that here at Villa and all the players, I, I expect them to 
You know, kids who want autographs, sign the autographs. If they want a photo, have the photo taken. Obviously, the pandemic has put pay to that a little bit, but we feel that we've got a connection now with the supporters because you don't have to have one or two exceptional talents like we had with Jack last year, who was exceptional. If you've got a very good group with a togetherness and you've got a support behind you, you can go and do things. And we all saw what Leicester did, of you know, four to five, well, probably more years ago than that now. But, you know, Craig Shakespeare was there and he said it was just momentum. It was momentum. Shake is my sister now. So at that time, we had a good, hardworking team, a great togetherness with the supporters, with the owners, and momentum carried us through. I totally understand and accept all those things, but it feels to me as if you stand for more than momentum because you're articulate on the subject of culture. You've quoted watching the All Blacks, you went and see the Bucks, um, and, and you used expressions that, that really made me curious. Like, so going into Milwaukee Bucks, you could immediately sense and see the culture. I'd like to know how. Secondly, I think it's extraordinarily difficult, maybe even more difficult to win games than to create a culture because you have to have so many lieutenants. You have to know when not to batter somebody for stepping outside the culture, when you have to batter them, like you've gone too far because culture is is a slow thing, easily damaged, slow to cook. Um, So those two things, seeing it and recognising it, how, if you can point it out, and, but building it, Dean, building it. Yeah, it's a really tough job. I mean, but you, you talk about how did I know at, at the books? You fe- I felt it when I walked in. There was a professionalism and there was a drive about people. Um, everybody in there, their behavior. For me, it's the behaviors that you, you see from people when you meet them for the first time. I walked into that books dressing room. I met Coach Bud. Um, and he engaged with me straight away. I knew nothing about basketball. He knew nothing about soccer, um, you know, but we engaged straight away. And the similarities that we had, I said, listen, I, I know nothing about basketball. You know nothing about soccer. But you know what? We coach well-paid athletes to become better players and better people. How do you deal with it? And we ended up just talking about the human elements that I feel sometimes can get lost and creating a culture is about that human element. That's not about winning. That's not about football on the training ground. Culture is how you behave every day, how you live every day when you come in. And I told a story at Warsaw. I had to do a talk on culture. And I told, we had a player and I misunderstood him as an 18, as an under 18 coach at first. I misunderstood him. I thought he was a bit of a wrong gun. Um, give him two warning letters straight away. Um, and it wasn't until I sat down with him and he explained to me about how, how he, how he lived, how he was brought up and, you know, and, you know, sometimes he was coming into training and he, he wouldn't have eaten because he didn't want to, uh, you know, put on his parents and, and whatnot. And it learned me a valuable lesson then. And I thought I need to help him, you know, become a better human being, to be honest, because, he needed a little bit of guidance and he always had talent and he always had drive, but it wasn't until one day he was walking across the canteen and he saw some rubbish on the floor and picked it up and put it in the bin. When I went, now he's got a chance. 
Now he understands what's important. And I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, knowing what's important, not just for you, but for the people around you, because they're the ones who are going to help you get to, to where you want to go. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.